It's time for the Wealth and Health Show with Michael Wall. Michael is a speaker, author of two best-selling books, and the president of three financial companies. He's also a frequent guest on national media outlets such as CNBC, Fox Business, and Bloomberg. His passion is to help you live well in retirement. This is the Wealth and Health Show. Well, welcome in, folks, to the Wealth and Health Show. I'm your host, Michael Wall, and we're joined this week with a special guest, Todd Jensen. He's the Chief Investment Officer for really all ARC Healthcare REITs, the Real Estate Investment Trust. We're going to be talking about real estate and healthcare and how that's all intertwined and really how it's changed in America today and why we've seen opportunity, but also see opportunity upcoming. I wanted to have him on. going to be a great guest. And as always, if it's the first time you've joined us, the Wealth and Health Show is really designed to interview a variety of different folks from not only the wealth, but the health side of life from C-level executives to entrepreneurs to folks who are really masters of their craft and just really successful in their field all the way to the health side where we have doctors and holistic health experts. We've even had on very well-known, internationally known, really artists talking about their craft, talking about investing in art. So it's really kind of a fun flavor of a variety of different things to share thoughts and ideas to help us all live well, invest well, live healthy, and really be well as we live our life in future and retirement and all those sorts of things. So Todd, thanks for joining us today with the show. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. And Todd, a little full disclosure here. We have used some of the investments that he's been involved with in the past, and we've really seen a great track record for some of the clients that we work with. Obviously, most of you know I have three different financial companies, and typically we're working with and creating engineering and preparing portfolios for higher net worth clients. And so Todd is the Chief Investment Officer of ARC Healthcare REITs. Tell us maybe, Todd, a little bit about your story and what that means as the Chief Investment Officer for ARC. As Chief Investment Officer for the ARC Healthcare REITs, I really have two primary responsibilities. One is to get out early in the capital raise and tell the story to financial advisors and prospective investors as to how we expect to invest the money that they would invest with us by buying our stock. So I talk about the portfolios we formed previously, talk about what we would anticipate buying it, why we like the space, why we think it's a good time to invest in healthcare, real estate, all that. So part of my responsibilities are related to raising capital. And then, of course, I'm responsible for all of the acquisition program for the REITs, helping to really architect a blueprint for how we want to construct the portfolio, overseeing all the properties that we buy into the portfolio. Okay. And by the way, folks, obviously, one of the little disclaimer is, is not every investment's right for everyone. So if you're listening to this, this may not necessarily be appropriate, but it might be a great fit. Just have to vet that out. At any point in time, if you want to join the conversation, feel free to send us a tweet to at lean on the wall. Again, at lean on the wall. Todd, let me ask you this, just a little bit about your history and background. Obviously, you've done this. We've seen some really successful investments in the past, but how did you get into real estate? What's the story there? You've been yeah, doing that, this for quite some time, I think, haven't you? I have, over 20 years. It's interesting. I had an uncle who was very successful professionally, and he was a real estate developer, and that's really what first initiated my interest in real estate development. I ended up going to graduate business school. I got an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And upon graduation, really was interested in getting into real estate development. At the time, we were in the real estate recession of the early 90s, so not really any developers were hiring. I went to work for Citibank, doing workouts and real estate investment banking for them, and then saw an ad in the Wall Street Journal, actually, for a small development company outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And when I read all the activities that the role was engaged in, it sounded terrific, and it was a small, privately held company, and you could grow your career and become a partner in the firm, and that all sounded terrific. And then I realized it was related to building medical facilities, and I thought that was a real head scratcher. Who would ever build <laughs> medical facilities? 
But I sent a resume and ultimately got the job and started out by calling on hospitals and health systems and essentially secure development opportunities for our company, helping those hospitals or health systems build buildings either on their campus or off their campus. So that's how I got into healthcare-related real estate. Wow. So you did that with that company for what? Eight years in total. Yeah. Yeah. I I started with them in Milwaukee and then I opened offices in Northern Virginia, Southern Virginia, Hartford, Connecticut, and then ultimately was recruited to a firm in Indianapolis, Indiana, who wanted to get into medical building. They were building office, industrial, and retail properties and wanted to add healthcare-related properties as kind of the fourth leg of the stool, if you will. So I joined them in 2003, I think it was. Okay and started really a national medical development practice. And we grew that quite rapidly. In about four years, we were the ninth largest medical development company in the country. Wow. Yeah, those were exciting times. That was fun. (laughs) That is cool. Almost thinking maybe I should retire now. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting because when you look at healthcare, you look at America right now, we're really set, you know, the aging demographic and the population. I mean, that probably aids a lot into the value and the benefit to some of what we're doing here, right? Absolutely. I mean, we really consider that to be a very strong wind at our back, if you will, Hmm. in investing in healthcare related property. The demographics of this country are undeniable, right? The aging of America, 10,000 Americans turning 60. 65 every day. That's been occurring since January of 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting next summer, we have 12,000 Americans turning 70 and a half every day. Wow. And then those numbers remain in place for decades to come. So the aged or the senior cohort of our national population is the fastest growing segment. 85 and older is actually the fastest growing age cohort in our country. Is that right? That's right. So we're not only wow. aging, but we're living longer. Yeah. And interestingly, once we move into that 65 and older age cohort, our annual expenditures on healthcare almost double. They increase about 80%. So if you think about the compounding effect of not only the shifts in population, but then the increased healthcare consumption that comes along with that senior years, it's really a very significant part of our national economy. I mean, healthcare expenditures today are about 18.5% of GDP, soon to be 20%. So think about it, one out of every $5 spent in this country is spent on consuming healthcare. And it's only growing, right? Healthcare employment projected to grow over 2.5% a year for the coming decade, grew about 25% or about that same pace in the last decade. Wow. In the last Great Recession, total employment really took a dive. Healthcare employment added jobs each and every month during the last recession. So a very resilient, very strong part of our national economy. So as you mentioned, I think that's a great point. You know, the huge wind at your back. And, yeah. And folks, I'll tell you, anytime you're out there and you're looking for things, I know one of the things that we look at when we look to invest in different things, you know, I've just been a big believer of investments as being tools. There's too many, I think, advisors or people that are out there and immediately they'll categorize and they'll say this is good or that's bad and they'll just write something off. And although there is good and bad of everything, so you got to be cautious. But at the end of the day, you always want to be looking in areas where there's momentum, right, Todd? I mean, anytime you can have momentum behind you, you have a greater probability of success, right? Well, right. I feel like anytime I'm running or riding a bicycle, anytime the wind's at my back, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> instead of instead of biking uh, 50 miles. You can bike 100 miles, right? Exactly. Yeah. Rather, than a, <laughs> rather than a strong headwind, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And folks, by the way, at any point in time, if you missed the beginning of the show or you want to learn more about other previous shows, feel free to visit leanonthewall.com. Go ahead and click on Wealth and Health Show, the Wealth and Health Show, and that'll take you to uh, previous segments of this show as well as any other shows you'd like to listen to. Todd, let me ask you this. When you look at healthcare in general in relation to what you had mentioned, all these facts, you know, people are getting older, they're spending more money and that sort of thing. What would you say would be the number one contributing factor to the 85 plus spending more money? What are they spending that money on? Do you know? 
Well, certainly we see, like I mentioned, a big uptick in expenditures on healthcare services, right? Mm -hmm. As we age, we just all intuitively know mm -hmm. that we tend to see the doctor more. If, yeah. if you have, have an aged parent or a grandparent who's 80-ish, you know that they're seeing a lot of doctors spending a lot of money on physician visits and prescription meds. Mm. So that is an area as we age where we see an uptick in spending. Some other things come down, right? Less spending on clothes and homes and vacations and things like that, and more spending on healthcare. Now, what do we see as far as the transition from that? So obviously, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, the spending has gone up, the need is there. And so, you know, when we go and we look to buy out properties, you're looking to buy properties. Is there a particular type of property that you're looking to buy or what does that look like? In the REITs, we really try to be balanced and diversified. We think that's a great way to hedge against future unforeseen risks to the portfolio. So mm -hmm. one of our hallmarks in terms of our discipline or investment objectives is to be balanced and diversified. So mm -hmm. we do want to invest what we would describe as across the whole healthcare continuum. So any type of property where healthcare is delivered, we would entertain acquiring into the fund, of course, subject to a whole number of parameters. But the bulk of the investment we look to put into two primary property types. That is medical office buildings mm -hmm. and other outpatient facilities, which I can explain why in a minute. And then the other one is senior housing, primarily for rent, assisted living, and memory care properties. Mm -hmm. Part of the attraction of those two property types is they rely least on the federal government reimbursement programs of Medicare and Medicaid. Mm. That's so, huge. So they're viewed as you know less stroke of what we would describe as stroke of pen risk, right? Mm -hmm. Where the federal government, who's constantly struggling to balance the budget, they're constantly squeezing down reimbursements to Medicare and Medicare recipients. Yep. So these property types really rely less on that than say a hospital would or a skilled nursing facility would. Now we still buy hospitals and skilled nursing facilities because again, we want to invest across the whole continuum, but those are sort of the minority segment of what we're investing. Our target is to do 40% medical office buildings and 40% senior housing. And, you know, folks, one of the things that we've seen now, obviously, they're in their third. We're just uh, raising money for the third REIT. Now, third REIT, right. Yeah. And they've had two previous. I've actually been involved. And again, these are just slices, slivers of a client's portfolio as we engineer and design something for clients that come in as we connect with. But at the end of the day, uh, one of the things that we've seen is there were two previous with ARC that really did stellar. And then one even that was before that, that was not with ARC, but they just kind of helped in selling the product, if you will. I guess that's probably the best way to say it. I was trying to think of the right words there, <laughs> But at the end of the day, uh, we've seen some great success there. And I think think one of the reasons that's the case is because you hit on a key point that I think is really, really important for investors to look at, and that is really the least risk and what they're doing from that perspective of least pen risk. I liked how you said that, you know, right. stroke of the pen where the exactly. government can change regulations and all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're out of luck. With this, the people that are participating in these facilities that you're owning, these people are self-pay or they have the money or they have insurance or something like that that's going to take care of the cost. Is that correct? The bulk of them do. And again, you can't build a healthcare related property portfolio and completely avoid Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement. They're, right. They're too significant a part of the whole reimbursement system. The goal is to manage your exposure to that, which mm. is what we try to do by allocating to the different property types the way we do. Yeah, and that, that's important. Folks, coming up, we're going to talk in a later segment about some of the wins that we've seen in the past with some of the previous REITs, non-traded REITs. We're also going to dive a little bit deeper into what is a non-traded REIT. You know, there's a difference between a non-traded REIT and a traded REIT. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we're also going to discuss the idea of good and bad because, you know, a lot of times people have had experiences with REITs out there and they maybe not have been the best experience 
But I think sometimes that's because they haven't looked to hedge that risk. So it's very important that you know what you're looking for before you actually jump into these with a piece of the portfolio. Would you agree with that? We do. We ask oftentimes, you know, prospective investors and their advisors to really look at the team, the theme, and the track record mm. of the program, i.e. who's the management team and what's their experience having done similar things? What's their theme, i.e. what's the investment thesis? And then thirdly, what is their track record? Yeah. And I think if you look at those, if you try to keep those three T's in mind, those are pretty simple rubric to help you remember what you really want to look at before investing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So folks, if you're out there and you're listening to this, and again, you have some questions or you're not sure. Now, typically, just so you know, these are instruments that are typically only fitted for accredited type investors. Some can be a little lower than that. What's the minimum on these? Well, ours actually are public companies. Okay. So, so they're open to the general public. The, okay. The, the minimum required investment is $2,500. So we don't require, you're not needed to be an accredited investor because there are full public companies and all the transparency that comes with being a public company, just like General Motors or Apple or IBM, our companies are publicly registered, but non-traded. So the stock doesn't trade on any exchange, at least initially. Okay. We have ultimately incubated the companies as non-traded and then later moved some of the previous companies onto a stock exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are public companies. So okay. minimum investment is $2,500 and really very little in terms of the wherewithal of the investor in terms of requirements. Okay. That's interesting to know because obviously some investments out there aren't that way. So you right. want to classify that to kind of see what that looks like. Well, folks, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about how healthcare has changed in America. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into that and just discuss how it's changed and why Todd and his team really sees continual opportunity with that as we move. Not only just the headwinds, but the opportunity to actually make money on what's happening. And it might be something that maybe is appropriate for you. Maybe it's not, but you're not going to want to miss it. So stick around. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to The Wealth and Health Show with Michael Wall. With the volatility in the markets, it can be scary to know the right solutions for managing and protecting your family's wealth. That's why Michael and his team at Wall Financial Group work exclusively with higher net worth clients to engineer portfolios that minimize risk and maximize potential. For more information, visit leanonthewall.com. And to see if you qualify for a Living Well Retirement Review, call toll-free 866-943-2351. That's 866-943-2351. You're listening to The Wealth and Health Show with Michael Wall. Welcome back in, folks, to the Wealth and Health Show. And again, I'm your host, Michael Wall. We're joined today with Todd Jensen. He's the Chief Investment Officer for really all of the ARC Healthcare REITs. They are a publicly traded company that offers non-traded REITs, I guess, so to speak. What's the best way to say that, Todd? Uh, we say publicly registered, non-traded direct investment programs. There you go. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, it's his deal, so let him let him tell us what it is. That's, that's fine with us. But it's definitely something we've seen over the years where we've utilized some of the contracts and one of the things that I know, Todd, that I look at, at least from a comprehensive perspective, you know, as an advisor or a coach, whatever you want to call it, with the clients that we assist, one of the things that we look at is we're trying to say, okay, if we do buy into these, we want to try and wait until there's a certain amount of monies there, so to speak. That way we can see some momentum, we can see some yield coming like we want to see. And really we're in a place where we're even increasing the safety net as far as the overall investment in general. But I know that you have been doing this for quite some time. We talked last 
segment, the end of it, the idea of how healthcare and really healthcare real estate is what we're talking about here, folks, how healthcare real estate has changed in America. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, healthcare real estate wasn't really that big of a deal, right? I mean, was no. it? No, it was it was really considered a specialty property type or a specialty property category. Yeah. And I would say that's been really one of the biggest changes in the last 15 years or so is that institutional investors mm -hmm. have really woken up to the attractive attributes of healthcare related property. What do you think has caused that to be the case? They see the same demographics and hear about all the same demographics that the rest of us hear about regularly in television and radio and newspapers, right? The aging of America. Mm -hmm. So everybody recognizes with that comes substantial consumption of healthcare services. It's a big part of our national population. It's a big part of our national economy. Logically, then people go to the next, right, the next step and say, well, gosh, there's this tsunami of this dynamic going on. How do I invest and profit from that trend, essentially? Mm -hmm. And I think healthcare real estate has been something that has allowed people to sort of say, hey, this is a way for me to capitalize on the aging population in our country and the increased healthcare consumption that comes along with that aging. Mm -hmm. Very little healthcare is delivered in the home, so it has to be delivered somewhere. Yeah. So with all this population shift and increased consumption, you have sort of a little bit of a supply demand imbalance right? We have this growing demand that you know is going to be continuing to grow for like mm. the next four decades. And right now, you know, there's not sufficient supply to meet all of that demand for the next 40 years. So you know it's going to be a growing field. And I think also one thing you see is you see very little speculative development in healthcare related property. Unlike retail or office or hotels, most healthcare related property is more build to suit driven. Mm -hmm. Now, some assisted living and independent living and things like that can be a little more speculative, but that helps us not have the same boom and bust cycles in healthcare property that you might see in some other commercial property types. So I guess one of the ways to look at it, folks, is this, is think about if you were developing real estate and you knew that you were going to have increased capacity, increased tenants. Increased I guess, demand. I demand. Guess. Yeah, right. really. Every year for the next 30, 40 years. Exactly. And, and you're in a situation where you knew that that was going to happen, not because you wanted it to happen or somebody wanted it to happen, just because naturally the age of people are getting older, right? So you knew that that's happening. And now why not capitalize on it, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think institutional capital has woken up to that. And mm -hmm. I think that has fueled demand by people wanting to invest in the sector. And that takes a number of forms, including publicly registered non-traded REITs like ourselves. You know, I think the retail investor, it's an easy story for them to understand. Mm -hmm. They see sort of the compelling fundamentals of at least the supply, demand and balance and say, gosh, if I was going to invest in commercial property, this one seems to make sense. And mm -hmm. I think we and others have had a lot of success attracting capital to this type of investment because of that. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the history. I know we have been involved, obviously, Healthcare Trust of America was kind of our first dip in the water, if you will, mm -hmm. with clients as we were helping them with their wealth. And then we moved into ARC 1 and ARC 2, and all three of those went public. And we were in a situation where by doing that, at least for sure with HTA and ARC 1, you know, when they went public, really good shows, good situations. What are some of the key factors or elements, Todd, that you would say, because obviously you were behind the ARC 1 and ARC 2 in building those out, that really caused them to be so attractive on the public market? First of all was the portfolio composition. When we started raising the capital for ARC Healthcare, our first healthcare REIT, we really were very intentional about, well, if we were building a REIT today, how should it be built? Or another way to think of it is, if we were to build a REIT to sell to another large publicly traded healthcare REIT, what would they want it to look like? Mm. You know, what would they most want to see in that portfolio composition? And we knew it was medical office buildings and other outpatient facilities. We knew it was senior housing. 
And we knew that they didn't want a lot of skilled nursing, particularly, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the largest publicly traded healthcare REITs already have a lot of skilled nursing holdings. They're not looking to add to that. If anything, they're looking to lessen them. So the, all those things factored into the construction of the portfolio. So I think part of it was the construction of the portfolio, part of it the fact that we capitalized it appropriately. It wasn't highly leveraged. It was quite low leverage mm-hmm. and very little mortgage debt. Having mortgage liens affixed to the properties can actually diminish the value in a sale. Hmm. So I think that was an important thing. They were high quality assets that had an attractive cash yield and low leverage. So ultimately we listed the company and it did well because people saw all those things, but then ultimately attracted a suitor basically Mm. where one of the largest publicly traded healthcare REITs came along and said that they would like to acquire it. And it's easy to understand why, because it was really accretive to them in every way. So the earnings or the yield on the portfolio was accretive to them. The low leverage on the portfolio was accretive to them, right? It didn't cause them to increase their leverage. Mm -hmm. The property allocation, you know, the weightings of the various property types was exactly what they would have wanted. Mm -hmm. So it was really attractive to them in almost every dimension. So we had a very successful outcome for our shareholders where they bought stock initially at $10 a share. Ultimately, when the merger closed, I think the day the merger closed, their stock would have traded at 1310. So they got over a 30% return on the face value of the stock, plus they got paid a 6.6 to 6.8% distribution along the way. So yeah, pretty attractive. I sat with an advisor last week and he had done all the calculations and he said if the investor would have reinvested their dividends in the stock rather than taking cash, they would have generated over a 40% return over the whole period. Yeah. And, and the good news is, is that's not that long of a period of time. I know what's interesting and folks, there's a lot of different types of REITs out there other than healthcare as well. But again, there's good and bad. And of course, that's where when you're working with the right advisor, coach, whatever their job is to understand what to look for and why and all that. But one of the things that I think is really important too, and I know Todd with us, when we, if it's appropriate, offer these types of investments to clients that we work with, one of the things that's really neat as kind of like an even additional is we're in a situation that because we're offering it through my advisory firm, they actually get a discounted pricing. That's right. So they're not even buying in at 10, they're buying in at 930. That's right. And then they get a little bit more on the yield each year. Right, on the distribution. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. it it really becomes even a little bit rosier then. And folks, you know, one of the things as you look at this, one of the things that he mentioned I wanted to hone in on when I thought was really interesting, and this can really overlay to any type of investment per se, even more so than just healthcare, real estate, uh, which is obviously Todd's expertise. But it's the idea of beginning with the end in mind, really being in a situation where you're understanding why are you doing what you do. You know, Todd, a lot of times I meet with clients for a second opinion. I just did it today. Met with a client for a second opinion. They're with an advisor from a large house. I won't mention the name, but you see they're in a situation a lot of times where these clients are in a place where they feel like they're diversified because they got a lot of stuff in their portfolio, but they're kind of over-diversified sometimes. And there's really no reason why they own what they own. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. well, that's what my advisor told me to do. Right. So one of the things that we want to be doing is looking at things and say, why specifically would we buy it? And that's what I hear you saying with the healthcare REITs is you're in a situation where you're saying, okay, we know we want to buy these, but we also want to have an end game for the client and be in a situation where we know we can take this public and return their cash, right? Right. Or have it be bought out on a public market or a private or something like that as well, right? Exactly. We incubate these things, right? So when we start, it's actually a blind pool capital raise hmm. where we're saying, hey, we're going to construct a healthcare REIT and we start selling stock to start investing to buy property. So if you're the first investor, other than our track record or what we tell you we're gonna buy, you really have no idea what we're gonna do with the money. Right. Right. But we can raise the capital and effectively build attractive 
portfolios of properties with that capital raise. And then our goal is to generate liquidity for our shareholders. And that is essentially an option, right? Do you want to continue to hold the investment or don't you? We realize initially these non-traded REITs are illiquid. So you're stuck in them for at least some period of time. Generally yep. with our firm, that's proven to be about four years. Yeah. But we know at some point you want the option to be able to exit the investment and either perhaps rejoin another one of our non-traded offerings or go do something else with the money. So we really do build these portfolios with that liquidity in mind, providing that liquidity. And that liquidity generally takes the form of either listing the company on an exchange or selling the company. Or yeah. as we did with our first REIT, it was both. We're going to talk next segment, folks, you're not going to want to miss this, about the idea of how alternatives, because really these could be classified as alternative investments per se, how they can reduce risk in your portfolio by giving some hedging and some other things because you're investing into things that are kind of off market. One of the things I know a lot of folks is they may listen to this, they may say, you know, is this right for me? Is it not? And again, it's not right for everyone. You need to make sure that that's the case. But if you have questions, now typically just as a little FYI with the three firms that we have, the clientele that we generally are able to assist is a higher net worth type client. That's just our classification through the three financial companies that I have. But if you have additional questions on that, feel free to visit leanonthewall.com and you can go ahead and contact us if you want more information on that. Or you can send an email to info at leanonthewall.com. Or if you're a Twitter person, go ahead and join the conversation. Send a tweet out to at lean on the wall. Again, at lean on the wall. And we're going to talk next segment again about the non-traded space, what to look for when you're buying in, because there's good and bad of everything. So we kind of want to throw some things out there for you so that way you can kind of know what to do to protect yourself when you're looking to buy in. What are some things you should look for when you're looking at a non-traded? And then really get into a little bit more detail about the difference between what a non-traded and then a traded REIT is, because you know you hear that a lot. Again, some people have had experience, but you want to make sure that you're understanding what you're looking at is actually what you think it is. So you're not going to want to miss all that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back just after this you're listening to the wealth and health show with michael wall with the volatility in the markets it can be scary to know the right solutions for managing and protecting your family's wealth that's why michael and his team at wall financial group work exclusively with higher net worth clients to engineer portfolios that minimize risk and maximize potential for more information, visit leanonthewall.com and see if you qualify for a Living Well Retirement Review. Call toll-free 866-943-2351, 866-943-2351. This is the Wealth and Health Show with Michael Wall. Welcome back in, folks, to the Wealth and Health Show. Again, I'm your host, Michael Wall, and we're here live in studio with Todd Jensen. Todd is an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. He's also the chief investment officer for really all of ARC Healthcare REITs. He's had a, quite an extensive experience specifically in the healthcare real estate space in America. He's really become an expert in that space for the, over the last 20 years as he's been involved and purchased millions and millions, if not billions and billions of properties over the years and just really done a great job of putting portfolios together that actually work make money and create liquidity then eventually for consumers that are involved in the process. So I wanted to have him in, not only because we've used some of the investments that he's put together as we are in a situation where part of my job is to evaluate the industry and look for different things out there that maybe consumers couldn't go get on their own, but they have to go find through a particular advisor, whatever it may be. And so part of our job is to continually search the market and search the industry for things that we feel add great value as really, Todd, we serve as our client's CFO. Right. I mean, that's really what that's right. we do. So 
one of the things I wanted to talk about this segment is the idea of the good and bad of REITs. A lot of people may have heard the term and they say, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I know John or, you know, so-and-so, they had this REIT and it just, it wasn't no good. You know, he never got his money back or it got repriced and it went away, you know, all these different things. So to protect against some of those, obviously nothing's guaranteed, but to protect against some of those things, what are some things that consumers can be looking for that you'd be able to share with respect to looking at REITs? The first thing that you want to look at is the REIT traded or non-traded. And then I guess you could also look at the technical corporate structure, right? So ours are public companies. We're fully SEC compliant, mm -hmm. i.e. publicly registered, but not traded. So the non-traded has advantages and disadvantages vis-a-vis -vis the traded. Mm -hmm. So the non-traded, the big disadvantage to the retail investor is that they're illiquid. You can't buy them today and easily sell them tomorrow or a month from now or six months from now or whatever. When you buy the product, you should be instructed by your financial advisor that this is an illiquid investment and you got to expect to hold it for a pretty good duration, right? That could be a as short as four years, it could be as long as 10 years, depending on how the program is managed. Now, the advantage of the non-traded is it's not highly correlated with the stock market. So mm. I'm sure some of your clients don't like the nauseating ups and downs mm. of their stock portfolios. And that's what you found is when the traded REITs first came out, they were uncorrelated for the most part. They wouldn't move in lockstep with the S&P 500 or whatever. But now over time, the S&P 500 has a handful of large REITs and they've all sort of converged where they're highly correlated with the movements of the stock market. Hmm. And if you think about it, the financial performance of real estate isn't tied to the stock market at all. You know, in the That's last great point, in yeah. the last recession, we saw publicly traded REITs, you know, their stock go from 30 to 10 because the stock market went down a lot. Mm -hmm. But if you looked at their underpinning financial performance, yeah, yeah. all their tenants were still paying rent. Yep their yield or cash flow hadn't changed substantially. Yep. But because the market swooned, their stock price swooned along with it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing for an investor to consider. Do I need liquidity or don't I need liquidity? Another advantage of the illiquid is not only the non-correlation with the stock market, but also the illiquid or non-traded REITs generally tend to pay a higher dividend yield or higher distribution yield. Well, so I mean, that, you, that can be attractive as well. They're helping to build, right? Right. So they exactly. get a little extra, you know, exactly. somebody and, asks, why is that the case? Well, you're the first one in the door, so to speak and helping to build the process. Right. And if you think about it, the portfolio manager doesn't need to keep a big hunk of money in cash mm. to provide liquidity, mm. right? Because nothing's going to drag down yield like holding a lot of cash. Right. So that's kind of the quid pro quo is, hey, we don't have to hold a lot of cash because you can't demand liquidity tomorrow. So we're going to put it all into higher yielding property. So mm -hmm. as a result, you know, our dividend yields tend to be high six to low sevens percent versus a publicly traded REIT is typically four to maybe five percent. And you know, folks, when you're looking out there, again, there's a lot of different types of REITs, whether it be real estate, whether it be shopping center uh, type properties, whether it be grocery store shopping center type properties, or other types of just real estate in general, all the way to BDCs, business development companies and different things like that, where they're going to really be based on a NAV pricing and adjust, you know, daily, quarterly, you know, that type of thing. And a lot of these are in a situation where on the healthcare space, Todd, specifically that you have the expertise in healthcare real estate, I guess I should say, we know that when people buy buy in, they're not going to have the access to liquidity. But again, one of the things that you need to know, folks, is when you do buy in, number one is how much liquidity, as he mentioned, do you need? And I just wanted to refresh that because that's really important. If you look at your overall portfolio, this is not something that you'd want to put 100% of your money in. Absolutely not. You know, you're going to want to say, okay, this is an alternative. It's an alternative asset class, so to speak. And you want to say, okay, let's figure out how much of our portfolio, maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 30%, maybe it's whatever, we're going to use for alternative type investments. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to put all 
all that money into even the healthcare space. Right. But it is something to consider when you're quantifying how much money you need and how much you want to put where. So traded versus non-traded, we talked about that. How about American Realty? And I know there's some things that attracted to me as I was researching you guys, your company, and some of the products, not just in the healthcare space that you offer, Todd, but even in others as well. And I liked how the chief investment officer and the other senior officers, if you will, in the company are actually paid, which was attractive to me. Share a little bit about that with the folks. Sure. Well, the bulk of our compensation really is incentive oriented. And basically, we start to become eligible for that incentive compensation once we have provided liquidity to our shareholders. They now own a liquid stock, either by virtue of us listing the company on an exchange or selling it. So we've removed sort of the illiquidity feature for our shareholders and provided them a 6% return on their principal. So we've provided them back their principal plus a 6% return on that principal. We're then- And that's annually or total? That's a total, that's a total simple, return, yeah. that's a simple total return calculation on their invested principal. And yep. then once we return them their capital plus a 6% return on that capital, we're eligible to participate in our incentive comp, which is basically 15%, 1-5% of the profits above that 6% return. And of course the investor gets 85%. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're essentially a minority participant in the profits that we've generated for our shareholders. And we think that's a great way of aligning our compensation with our shareholders' interests. And you know, folks, when you're looking at that space, the non-traded space in general, this is one of the things that attracted to me. And some of the parameters that I look at when we're evaluating companies is you may have heard stories if you're out there and you're familiar with the concept of non-traded REITs or you know, you've heard of people that have had it before and you have a story of somebody that's been in a contract for seven, eight, 10 years or longer. Sometimes what happens is the managers of those funds or those REITs per se, they're pulling a one and a half, two percent, whatever it may be, fee annually from the REIT. So if you think about that, folks, if you got a two or three billion dollar REIT or, or company s- or some of them were as big as 10 billion yeah pulling two percent a year you're good you're good yeah you're good <laughs> I mean the managers are happy everybody's good but the problem is is and the consumer's getting a yield you know and all that and that's fine but the problem becomes liquidity what if the consumer wants to get out they want to get their money back and all that and so from my perspective Todd one of the things that we want to try and find are things where we can make some money not be there forever right get our cash back from my perspective it really reduces risk if we're not in there for the exactly. long Would you agree with that? I would. And I think our company specifically saw that as an opportunity in the non-traded REIT space Mm -hmm. and specifically sort of entered the field thinking, hey, we could do this a little differently. We'll take the bulk of our compensation on the back end. We'll focus on near-term liquidity events, right? We'll raise the capital, invest the capital in a disciplined but timely way. Once the portfolio is fully formed and cash flowing, we'll look to provide our shareholders with liquidity as well as return on that capital. And that's huge. And again, folks, at any time, if you have questions about this, feel free to visit leanonthewall.com. If you missed the first parts of the show, just go ahead and click on the Wealth and Health Show. Or if you want to join the conversation, send a tweet out to at leanonthewall. Again, that's at leanonthewall. And Todd, the question that I have next, I guess, is as you're looking at evaluating real estate, you're buying primarily medical office buildings and a variety of different spaces outpatient, all those sorts of things, for rent, assisted living, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular area of the country that you see is really, we're seeing a lot of growth, more than one, or is it kind of across the board? Well, you know, I think we see a little bit more demographic growth in what we would describe as the smile states mm. of the country, that being the coastal west, the southwest, the south, the southeast, the coastal east. And they're smiling because the sun's out, right? <laughs> well, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that's yeah. part of why they continue to see migration, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
some of the northernmost states don't see necessarily an in-migration like some of the southern states do. That being said, you know, we do invest all over the country. Our goal, again, is to be balanced and diversified. That includes being balanced and diversified geographically. So we'll invest in Peoria, Illinois, and Chicago, and Milwaukee, and Ohio, and other places. So we probably have a slight preference for what we would call those smile states simply because they have a little bit more dynamic population stereotypically speaking, than Northern. Yeah, and, and you locations. don't see too many people running for, you know, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And uh, of course, you know, we live kind of here and there and, and travel around visiting clients in different spots and stuff. But in PA, in the Northern state, sometimes you got two, three months of clouds. Well, yeah. And you snow know, and ice and yeah, and all, else. All, yeah. all the good stuff. So I think sometimes when people are smiling, they live longer, <laughs> and when they live longer, they they, uh, they pay rent longer, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but let's face it, healthcare is delivered everywhere yeah, in this country. Right. So you know we know that there are aging mm. people in Pennsylvania, just like there are in South Florida, and, and they, that's a big demographic. And isn't they need it? care. And what is interesting about the healthcare space is you're not limited to major cities. I mean, healthcare is delivered in every town or city or state in this country. Yep. And interestingly what we try to do when we're assembling the portfolio is we like to buy as much yield as we can. And what we've learned is, you know, there are certain markets where you pay a premium, as you might expect to, mm -hmm. right? Gateway cities, Los Angeles, California as a whole, that state even, New York City, Boston, right? I mean, I mean, there's where properties trade at a real price premium and almost an inferior yield in a way mm -hmm. because they're so widely recognized and there's so much demand for property in those areas. Oftentimes you could find that same set of circumstances, the same size of property, age of property, financially strong tenant and lease term and all that in a secondary market or tertiary market and get substantially more yield than you could buying in suburban Los Angeles or suburban Boston. Yeah, that's interesting. And when you think about that, that's where expertise comes in really to kind of say, okay, you know, what does this look like, not only in the history, but current and why should we buy and where and all that? Because right. obviously the cost of properties and things like that fluctuates from market to market and Absolutely. some markets are in boom times and others are not. So is there ever a time where you kind of say, okay, this market's really in a boom and it, it would be maybe some future growth, but right now we're a little top heavy as far as pricing there. So we're going to not kind of hold off on buying something. We do do that. Or, yeah. or in some cases we'll be over-concentrated in a certain geography geography at a particular point in time. So we'll de-emphasize buying things in that geography while we try to get back to a little bit more equal balance. Hmm. Now, that's not to say it's ironclad because look at if a really attractive opportunity presents itself, we'll grab it. You know, that's a lot of my job is really sort of the art and science of deciding there's always a pool of assets in play in the market and trying to really be insightful about what we buy and what we don't buy. And that's amazing. You know, when you think about it, folks, anytime you do anything, I'm a big believer of specialty. Because, yeah, I'm a specialist. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's exactly right. And I'm a big believer of that, you know, and, and, and in fact, even in our business, I, we hear it all the time. Well, there's, you know, there's lots of people in real estate. There's lots of people that are in the advisory realm for clients and that sort of thing. And it really, that is true. However, you're in a situation where within that there are specialists. And we're going to talk next segment, folks, a little bit about why it is important to specialize and how that can give you the best opportunity to put yourself in a place where you can really succeed in any economy. Because that's really the goal. You know, everybody's worrying about what's going to happen with markets up, down. We've seen sideways trends for quite some time. And so why working with specialists can help you improve your rating or chances or whatever you want to call it of success. We want to absolutely maximize that. You're not going to want to miss this last segment. It's going to be a powerful one. So stick around. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to The Wealth and Health Show with Michael Wall.
With the volatility in the markets, it can be scary to know the right solutions for managing and protecting your family's wealth. That's why Michael and his team at Wall Financial Group work exclusively with higher net worth clients to engineer portfolios that minimize risk and maximize potential. For more information, visit leanonthewall.com. And to see if you qualify for a Living Well Retirement Review, call toll-free 866-943-2351. That's 866-943-2351. This is the Wealth and Health Show with Michael Wall. Welcome back in, folks, again to the Wealth and Health Show. I'm your host, Michael Wall, and we're joined today with Todd Jensen. We've uh, been having a conversation on healthcare real estate specifically. Now, Todd is an MBA from Wharton School of Business. He's also the chief investment officer, really oversees and has overseen all of the ARC healthcare non-traded that have, you know, eventually gone public to this stage in the game. There's one in the process of going public, and he's on round three, which is great. He's had uh, over 20 years of experience specifically in the healthcare field and buying healthcare real estate, I guess I should say. And we talked a little bit over kind of leading into the idea of specializing and the importance of being a specialist. And I know at the beginning of the show, Todd, we were kind of talking off Mike a little bit and we were talking, he said, you know, about different types of real estate and things. He said, no, nah, I'd really rather prefer to, we just focus on uh, healthcare real estate, right? Right. That's important. It really is because being a specialist in today's economy, it's not like it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. There are so many moving parts and so many things today that being a specialist really makes a difference. Would you agree? Yeah, I'm an unintended specialist. I mm -hmm. never sought out to become a healthcare real estate expert, but that's what I focused on for the last 20 years. So that's what I am now. And when you wanted me to talk to you know, real estate generally, I mean, I certainly can talk about it to some extent, but I was afraid that there would be listeners who would know more about retail real estate or office properties or something than I did. So I figured I better stick to my knitting. Stay focused, right? <laughs> and we talked, folks, about how really specializing can help you increase your chances of success. When you look at life in general, I know a lot of times when we look at and again, I can speak to some degree what we do, which is, you know, for the last almost 14, 15 years, really help engineer portfolios for clients to help them protect in the down markets and, and grow money in the up markets and really live well in any economy. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we're hired for. That's what we do. And we've done, thankfully, a really great job of that. But one of the things I believe why that's the case is because we've been able to really specialize. You know, we're not really the type of firm that somebody coming in, if they're, you know, 25, 30 years old and they just want to start out and start a Roth IRA, whatever, we don't do that. That. People that come to us, we have a financial minimum, they already have accumulated wealth, and they're realizing they're in a different stage of their life. And so because of that, it puts us in a category. Again, I'm being a little self-serving here, I guess, for a minute, but I'm doing it for a reason, folks, because I think it's important for you to know as you're looking at any decision that you make, whether it be with your finances or whether it be with anything else that you do, you want to deal with a specialist. With us, it gives us the ability, as I mentioned, to kind of stay focused on the investment tools. Even though we can work with any investment that exists out there in the market today, it allows us to stay focused on the particular investments and tools, so to speak, that are conducive and really the best fit for the clientele that we're working with, which their goals are to achieve and grow wealth. And I know in the doctor's field, when you look at doctors, taught a lot of people get the fact that doctors are specialists. Yeah. And I use this analogy a lot is, you know, let's say you were in a situation where you went to your GP all these years and you get your blood pressure checked and cholesterol checked. And after you ran the mile, after you ran 10 miles, after you bike 50 miles, right? <laughs> 
But you're getting those levels checked all these years just to make sure that your body's running in tip-top shape. And now all of a sudden, you're 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, your health has changed, your life has changed, and maybe you build a relationship with that GP over the years, you know, that primary doc that you were connecting with. But let's say, God forbid, you got a major pain in the left side of your head on your temple and, and you're saying what do i do they got some tests done they found out you got a golf ball sized tumor well now you know you're going to go to a specialist i mean it's just a no-brainer not to pun on words but it's just what you do there because that person all they do each and every day is brain tumor removal and so when it comes to the health field People get the idea that you got to have specialists. When it comes even to the legal field, same thing. If you got a $100 million estate, you're probably not going to go to an attorney that is advertising for bankruptcy. Right. <laughs> I mean, they could probably create a will and a trust and everything for you. They're lawyers, but it's just not where you want to go. Have you seen that really roll over into real estate and, and how that's caused you to become even more laser focused in what you do? Well, yeah, I think it helps. I mean, I think immersion is important. Repetition is important. I mean, they say that with surgeons, right? Mm -hmm. That the most effective surgeons, they can easily trace their efficacy to the volume of similar cases that they've done. Huh. So oftentimes, if I'm ever out looking for a surgeon, I want to know how many of these exact type of cases have you done? Yeah. Because that repetition builds proficiency and specialization. So you know, I think that has suited me well. The fact that I've spent you know more than 20 years doing nothing but healthcare-related property, I developed it for a long time. So really understand you know the market assessment and the cost of construction and how to lease it and how to manage it and all that. So now we're acquiring it. You know, it's it's broadened my view because you're constantly trying to evaluate everything that's in the market at a given point in time. So we're digesting a bigger volume than we have, but certainly all that background and all that specialization previous to now has served me well in this capacity. That's huge. And folks, if you're out there and you have a story that you want to share, just a little tidbit you want to share about how working with a particular type of specialist helped you succeed in whatever you were trying to do, join the conversation. Send us a tweet to at lean on the wall. Again, at lean on the wall. Just like it sounds, you're standing there at your home or wherever you are and you're leaning against the wall. Well, you're going to L-E-A-N-O-N-T-H-E wall. Lean on the wall. That's our Twitter handle. Or you can go to leanonthewall.com and uh, learn a little bit more about us and then also check out previous segments of the show if there's other segments you missed or other previous shows. Last week, we actually interviewed Rick Rellis. He was a senior exec for Kohler, the Kohler Company in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Great interview. Have some great ones coming up in the future as well. But we're talking about the idea of specializing, the importance of that. And Todd, let me ask you this. When you take a look at Healthcare 3, Healthcare 1, successful. Healthcare 2, successful. Getting ready to go public this fall, which creates liquidity for clients and that sort of thing. And probably from that, you'll see, obviously, a tidal wave, I would think, of raising capital, right? Yeah, we would expect some of that certainly to come back into Healthcare 3, yeah. And with Healthcare 3, what does the size of Healthcare 3 look like? What do you expect for it, timeline? And, yeah, and so we're endeavoring to raise about $3.125 billion of equity. And then, like has been the case previously, a number of our shareholders will opt to reinvest their dividends dividend rather than take it in cash. So by the time all that occurs, you know, we'll probably end up with about 3.5 to 3.75 billion of equity. And then if we leverage that about 30% in line with our publicly traded peers, you know, that's probably a four and a half billion dollar portfolio when we're all said and done. I would hazard a guess that it might take us as long as three years to raise that capital, maybe four years in total to raise the capital and invest it all. So that's my business plan for the next four years. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And the, and the 
philosophy as far as the types of properties you're purchasing is pretty much going to stay the same. For right now, if the market changes or regulation changes or something happens, we will certainly adjust our thinking. But yeah. we think that the formula that we have followed to date for both Healthcare One and Healthcare Two has served us and our investors very well. We think it's on point. We constantly reevaluate what we're doing almost every day as we look at things in the market. But sitting here today, I think we will follow pretty much that same formula. And yeah. that's 40% medical office buildings, 40% senior housing, and then the balance of 20% fairly equally divided between hospitals, which is acute care, mm -hmm. and then post-acute care facilities. We're seeing some interesting things happen in the post-acute space, you know, linkages with hospitals becoming tighter by virtue of some of the recent legislation, the ACA particularly. So I think that's a good thing for skilled nursing operators. I think we're going to start to see a little more capital flow to skilled nursing. The physical plant there for the most part, at least stereotypically speaking, is very old. Average mm -hmm. age in this country is probably 40, 45 years old for your stereotypical skilled nursing facility. So they're in need of some capital replacement. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think we're starting to see some of that and I think we'll continue to. So the updating process is, is exactly. at hand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's interesting. And that, that, I think, brings a lot of validity to what you're doing. You mentioned about how the goal with R3 is to kind of continue in the process as you were in the past. However, if you see legislation change, if you think that these things change, you're totally open to the idea of maybe morphing and changing a little Absolutely. bit of your philosophy. Which, well, you have to, right? I mean, that, that's, that, exactly that's right. our job. I mean, that's our fiduciary duty to our shareholders is to be the most on the ball and, yeah. and capable and insightful management team that we can be. Todd brought up a great word there, folks, fiduciary, which I think is really, really important when you're taking a look specifically about your investments. Obviously, not all fiduciaries are created equal. Just because they carry the term doesn't mean they're really, really doing what's in the best. But at the end of the day, by definition, you have to do what's in the best interest of clients. And, you know, it's important when you're taking a look at investments and where you do put your money, you want to make sure you're in a place that you understand what you're getting into and why, what the future looks like. I know certainly that's when our clients come to us. That's what we've researched. We do the boots on the ground. I know I come to New York a fair amount, not just for media, you know, and sharing whether it be Fox or whatever it may be, but also to do research on investments. We travel across the country and look at things, boots on the ground. Because for me, folks, that makes sense to ensure me that I know I'm giving the highest probability of opportunity and success in what we're doing and everything we're doing for our clients. And that's really what we do. And Todd, obviously your job is to focus on the healthcare space. Is there anything else that you see changing that could affect what you're doing at all at this stage in the game or not really? Well, we are starting to see uptick in construction of assisted living and other senior housing properties. You know, there was a, a period of time in the late 80s and early 90s where we saw some overbuilding there. So it's something that we're cautiously and continuously monitoring right now. The construction activities, for the most part, look appropriate for the growing demand and the existing supply. I suspect that eventually there will be some at least isolated pockets of overbuilding, hopefully not nationally or, mm. or across the board. But that's something that we're going to continue to monitor. If it does become overbuilt, you know, we'll start reducing our exposure to that sector as we see that start to happen. Absolutely. And then you can maybe get into buying workout facilities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, not doing that. So that's important to keep an eye on that, you know, to yeah. see what's happening because obviously overexposure there and it's And boots on the ground. I mean just like you yeah. said, I mean I I see just about every single property that we buy for the same reason as you do. You got to get out there. You got to see it. You got to assess it. You got to know what you're getting and why you're getting it and understand it in its entirety and make the decision that yeah, this is what we're signing on for. Now, the most of the properties you purchase, are they needing updating? Do they need refurbed no, or are they ready to much. go? Yeah, we, we, turnkey. We, yeah, we buy sort of turnkey cash flowing properties. We're not developers per yeah. se, and we're not turnaround experts. We don't buy distressed assets. We don't mind buying from distressed sellers. Mm-hmm. 
so long as the assets aren't distressed. But we don't do a lot of value add or improvement to the property. We essentially buy them ideally brand new and in tip top shape and just let them cash flow. Where our real capital appreciation opportunity actually comes is in the aggregation of properties. Mm. And that's a very interesting mm. dynamic in our field right now because there is so much big institutional demand for this property type. There's a premium pricing associated with large aggregated portfolios. So while you could buy a single property at say like a seven or a seven and a quarter percent yield, if you take that same property and were to multiply it by 200 times, so a pool of 200 of that exact same property would trade at a yield that's probably 6% or less. We call that in our field the aggregation premium. And that's exactly what we do. We go out and buy single assets or small portfolios, maybe one or two properties at a time. But by the time we aggregate 200 or 300 of them, suddenly there's been value creation simply in the aggregating and forming of a large institutional quality portfolio. Mm -hmm. And that's what enabled us to capture some of that in that first REIT that we sold to Ventas. They valued that. They were able to apply their multiple to essentially that portfolio's earnings, mm -hmm. which basically created capital appreciation. Well, I like that. I mean, you're really, in a sense, reducing risk by diversifying, buying properties in different areas and different types of properties, Absolutely. even though they're all in that same target field. And then you're looking, again, the end in mind where you're saying, okay, what is appropriate? Ventas or a company like that is an example where you say, okay, they have a lot of this. They're overweighted here, exactly. but you know where they really would like to have some play is in this field. So now what's happening, folks, if you think about it, what he was just mentioning there, it's the idea of you're the one going around and you're putting all these pieces together and there takes some work and effort and boots on the ground and negotiation and all these different things to bring all of these pieces together. But what happens is a lot of times these institutions and a lot of other investors in general, they're not interested in buying the puzzle piece. They want the whole puzzle. Exactly. You know, And they want it fully assembled for them. <laughs> yeah, they, they want it fully assembled in a frame yeah. and signed. You know, we had Mike Wisrow. He's an international artist on a couple of weeks ago, and he once painted a uh, painting of Warren Buffett at the shareholders meeting, did it in just a few minutes and sold for $250,000 in just the first couple of minutes. And the point is, is people don't want the blank canvas. They want the finished product. And what you guys are doing is you got the blank canvas and you're going around and investors have the opportunity to participate in this and in the ability to participate, you're basically the ones boots on the ground going around and bringing all the different colors of paint, paintbrush and creating that portrait, putting all the pieces together and then we can take that and go public or whatever we do with it, which creates liquidity for clients and all that. Well, Todd, it's been great having you on the show, and, and I hope it's been helpful. I know it's been helpful for investors and, and just folks out there listening to this, but thanks yeah, for joining us. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Folks, again, if you have any questions about what we discussed here today or you want to join the conversation, send us a tweet to at LeanOnTheWall or visit LeanOnTheWall.com. Again, LeanOnTheWall.com, and you can learn more about us or listen to any other previous shows. You're not going to want to miss the show next week. we got some really great guests coming on two guests in fact they are father-son duo and uh, really really phenomenal story with one of the largest organizations in the country ninth largest actually in the country and really amazing things impacting and connecting with over a hundred thousand people a week you're not going to want to miss that show so hang around and we'll see you next week have a great one Information provided during the Wealth and Health Show is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.